It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's Live in the Bream with the host of Fox News Sunday, Shannon Bream. This week on Live in the Bream, I am so excited and honored to welcome back a guest you've heard from before. And we're actually in the same studio, which is a nice treat because we do so many things remotely now. But Benjamin Watson is here with us, former NFL tight end, writer, a speaker, an activist, um, college football studio analyst with the SEC Network and VP of Strategic Relationships with the Human Coalition, one of the largest pro-life, pro-women organizations in the country. He and Kirsten have seven kids. They're the founders of the Watson Seven Foundation. It's a nonprofit focused on strengthening families. Welcome, Benjamin. It's good to have you in person. It is good to be in person. I mean, technology is so great nowadays. You know, we can do things from the moon, but <laughs> it's always good to be in person, see your smiling face actually in person. So thanks for having me. Listen, if you want to do this from the moon, I think that would be very cool. And <laughs> that I'd would be very be honored. Cool. That would be um, cool. I wanted to be an astronaut growing up. So, Well, OK, we can talk about that um, because you're, there's, you're never too old for a new dream. I think that you're fit enough. They want people who are fit. Like most of us, yeah. house potatoes are not going to get I don't know if I can, I, can, I can ball up in that little spaceship. That's though, and true. Get they seat. might have to build a special NFL yeah. player capsule. I'll be, I'll be, I already told Kirsten, I said, look, I know we got seven kids. I need to be alive. <laughs> I don't want to die prematurely. But if they ever offer a trip I to the mean, moon, like, I might have to take her up on, on that. I hope so. I, I'll have you talk to <laughs> She's her. a very understanding wife. <laughs> okay, listen, you've got this new book out called The New Fight for Life, Roe, Race, and a Pro-Life Commitment to Justice. This is, we're coming up on, we're roughly around the one-year anniversary of the Dobbs decision from the Supreme Court, which overturned Roe. And this is a deep-dive discussion on what comes next. So talk about first about why a guy, a former NFL player, is diving into this conversation. Yeah, I get that question. I actually talk about talk about it in the book, you know, the elephant in the room. Uh, there's a narrative, Shannon, that men shouldn't talk about this issue. Um, we know that's not true. I think even from a practical standpoint, the fact that it takes a man and a woman to have a child. I mean, men have a voice in it. Uh, but too often, uh, men have shied away from talking about this topic for, for various reasons. Um, I feel that with so many different social issues, if men stand up and speak out uh, courageously, that's how we turn the tide in so many of the things that we see going on. So so why is a man involved? Well, number one, I'm biologically involved with my kids, but 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 number two, I believe that men have a role in speaking about abortion. Uh, I heard it once said that abortion will end when men actually make it end, and that's not to um, to diminish the role of women in this in this fight, uh, but but it takes men also challenging other men when it comes to fatherhood and when it comes to taking care of women and taking care of children and advocating. Um, and even quite honestly, many, many men, many of us have not treated women correctly, uh, either ourselves or over the years. And so it makes sense while some people would tell men to get out, but men have a role to play. And not only do we have a role, we must stand up and, and speak out. And you're not new to this conversation. Yeah. I mean, you've got other books out there urging this kind of involvement for men and to embrace yeah. family and all of those things. Um, but in this new book, you talk about this from the framework of social justice yeah. and how wrongs that have happened over the years have gotten us to this place where abortion seems to be more common and disproportionately affect black and brown women. That's part of your conversation in the book. Yeah, it, it really was kind of the, the, the jumping off point or the diving board, if you um, so to speak. 
in my in my role, even at Human Coalition, and, and in speaking in the pro life movement um, at pregnancy resource centers around the country, those sorts of things, um, and speaking to other organizations that are like minded, uh, there's a statistic that a lot of times gets floated out when it comes to uh, black women and abortion that black women are three to four times more likely than their white peers to have abortions. And and while statistics are sometimes hard to trace when it comes to who's getting abortions, we do know that the black community, that black women um, and men are making these decisions at a disproportionate rate. Um, but but what, what frustrated me, uh, Shannon, was that many times it stopped there. Um, the statistic was thrown out usually to say, uh, this is an issue that is affecting black people. Why don't you black people stand up and say something? Sometimes it feels that way. Uh, but the frustrating part for me was nobody ever said why. I mean, why is this happening? But we ask why about so many other things. Um, why is this stat the way it is? And I could come up with two solutions. You might could help me with another one. But one is do black families just like killing their children more than anybody, any other ethnicity? Now, if you believe that, then fine. Just say it. I don't think that's the case. Or what are the, what are the factors? What are the reasons that continue to make the black community more susceptible to abortion and make more abortion decisions than other ethnicities. And with the other work that I've done, reading, studying about the racial history of this country, uh, going back to 1619, going through chattel slavery, going through reconstruction, going through convict leasing, going through um, the New Deal, um, going through veterans coming home and not being able to get home loans. Uh, the, the list goes on and on and on. When it And the outcome is a racial... Um, wealth disparity that we still see today. I mean, I, to be honest with you, there's there's a almost a 10 to 1 wealth gap between the average net worth of a black family and the white counterpart. And that doesn't mean, I'm not saying that everything has to be equal. What I am saying is there are reasons for that. And when I look at abortion in the black community, when I look at abortion, period, and the 76% of women who say they would prefer to parent, if their circumstances were different, a lot of times, the number one issue is adequate housing or health care outside of the father relationship with the father, adequate health care. Um, it is it is economic. It is wages. It is education. All the things that we've seen over the years has made the black community, quite frankly, in a dire situation and more vulnerable to the abortion industry to come and to pray and to offer abortion as a solution to these problems, which it never has been. And it never will be. Yeah, you and I have talked about this, that what I hear from pro-choice advocates who are very worried in the wake of Dobbs and the overturning mm -hmm. of Roe is what they'll say is it is black and brown women who are most um, disadvantaged by these new tougher laws in a lot of red states because they say they tend to be struggling more economically, um, have different challenges than you talked about, their white counterparts. And so by taking away this access or this option of abortion to them, you're actually hurting them and their ability to move forward. But the access doesn't solve anything. There's been abortion access for 50 years. It hasn't solved anything when it comes to a racial wealth gap. It hasn't solved anything when it comes to the issue of poverty. It hasn't solved anything with educational. It hasn't solved anything. And so while they're right in saying that it's going to um, impact black and brown women more, I would say they're, they're right in that simply because the statistics bear that proportional, disproportionately these this, these groups of women make the decision more, but it's not helping them to be able to make that decision. I think that's where I, I differ 
Um, and that's where if, if we look at what we're trying to solve, we see that abortion has never helped anything. Abortion has never helped anyone rise out of poverty. If if a woman or a man go to a clinic or at this point, you know, 50 percent of abortions occur chemically. Mm-hmm. And so many times abortion is occurring in the privacy of a, a woman or man's own um, bathroom or their own living room. Uh, it, it might be up to 80 percent in the next couple of years. But but if I were to go to those same people a year later or a day later, their circumstances will still be the same. And so my push back on that narrative is what is abortion solving? And also, we are talking about another human being that is in the mix that oftentimes doesn't get discussed because it's uncomfortable or because it doesn't help support that narrative. Mm -hmm. And you talked about you got to be holistic about this. Um, That was one of the critiques of pro-lifers after this big decision from the Supreme Court. Oh, they'll get this child born, but then they don't really care what happens after that. And you've said, you got to look at the root causes. So you got to go back to those. You have to offer solutions. You've got to offer support to these women and to these children who, as you said, you know, a lot of times they're going to not choose to move forward because they don't see any way economically they could possibly survive and support a family. Yeah. There's, there's a, a common, a common, I guess, uh, accusation of, of pro-lifers that, you know, you only care about, um, well, you only care about uh, babies before they're born and not after, but also you just want to control women. I think that's more of a, that's, that's, that's a newer accusation. Mm-hmm. I think over the last couple of years that has come up and, and I've heard, heard a lot. Um, number one, we got to address it head on. Is that true about some people who would say they're pro-life that they just care about babies before they're born? I would say yes. The truth of the matter is yes. There are some people who for them, this is a political issue. It is a I check the box issue. I'm voting for this person and I feel good about myself because of this. This is part of my tribe and my club. And and this is what makes me feel good to fight for preborn children. And that's all they want to do. There are some, pe- are some people like that. But there are also some folks who look at life and say life has value no matter the stage of development. Life has value no matter the location. Life has value no matter the socioeconomic status. Life has value no matter the ethnicity. Life has value no matter the mental capability. And for those people, they would say, I'm in it for this for the continuum of life. And I'm gonna advocate for the continuum of life, mother and baby, end of life care, the elderly, those who have mental challenges and disabilities. I'm gonna advocate for all of them because they are all, all valuable. And I'm not going to differentiate simply because one seems to be more dependent at this stage in their life, because quite frankly, we're all dependent mm-hmm. at some stage in our life. Even as we sit and speak right now, we are dependent. I don't know about you, but I'm not making my heart beat. So I'm <laughs> so we all all have some sort of dependency. And so th- there are a bunch of people like that. And I think that, look, it's, it's a convenient accusation. Um, it's true about some. But it's not true about all. But my hope in this book is to provide a pathway or a a vision for that not to be true about any of us. I want to provide a pathway and a vision for how we as a pro-life movement can bring more people on board. Because honestly, and and this is difficult to say sometimes, many people have pro-life sentiments, meaning that they want to care about children and and pre-born children. But they see the way many of us talk about justice issues. They see our, our rhetoric and they say, I don't want to be a part of, uh, of that group. 
But if we were to say, no, th- these issues are important. Look, healthcare is important. Maternal mortality is important. The fact that there are healthcare deserts and food deserts and all these sorts of things are worth a discussion. We may disagree on how to actually implement change, but we have to acknowledge that these things are continuing to happen. And I think that that is, a, is a, an olive branch, so to speak, or, 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 or a handout to shake the hand of those that might be on the other side of the pro-life, pro-choice aisle, but say, you know what? These people actually do care about life because they're proving it in the way that they speak and also the way that they act. We'll have more Live in the Bream in a moment. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. We're talking to Benjamin Watson about his new book, The New Fight for Life, Roe, Race, and a Pro-Life Commitment to Justice. You talk about these conversations that you have across Mm -hmm. the spectrum, um, and you had a documentary about this. I mean, you've gone and talked to people about the issue of abortion from a lot of different angles. Um, Do you feel like those can be fruitful conversations for the average person who says, I don't want to scream at each other, I don't want to throw signs in each other's faces, but maybe I can sit down over dinner with a neighbor or have a conversation? Is there, you think, space to make progress in understanding each other on either side of this abortion issue? The jury is still out. (laughs) (laughs) You're trying. I'm trying. um, Because there is a small sliver of people that many of us aren't as vocal who really want that, who really want to have progress and change and want to understand each other and want to see the value of people and have empathy for others that are in a different position than themselves and and maybe understand why. I remember sitting there talking to a woman who actually wrote the Reproductive Health Act in New York Mm -hmm. that made New York one of the most liberal or or permissive uh, abortion states in the union at that time. And, And she, I just wanted to know why she felt like she was doing something positive for women. Like she, she genuinely felt that way. She didn't seem to be a, an evil person. I don't agree with her at all. And I hope that I can win her over, but to see her, her humanity, I think is very important, not only on this issue, but on others. Um, your question is, can we, can we get there? I don't know. We live in such a bifurcated, um, culture. Um, it seems that we celebrate who can be the most extreme. Mm-hmm. We, 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 we award and we applaud those who make the most um, far right or far left stances. And we, we give them airtime. We, we give them votes. And it, it makes us feel good about ourselves to be a part, I think, of a tribe sometime. And as a believer, my, my call is to be honest and to be um, in line with how I believe Scripture teaches me to live. And, and for me, when I'm looking at the word of God, and I'm looking at how God created life and how we bear his image and how God is a God of justice and of righteousness. And he talks about that all throughout the Psalms and the Proverbs and the book of Amos and Micah. It's all throughout how God defends the vulnerable over and over and over again. And he wants them, their dignity, their human dignity to be um, appreciated. Uh, To me, that's not a, a right or a left issue. That's not red or blue. That's not progressive. It's not conservative. It's none of those sorts of things. And I don't know how many people feel that way because they're not the loudest. I had a friend tell me that uh, we can't judge entire movements by the loudest 
activists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but True. unfortunately, the loudest activists are the ones who hog on the airtime. <laughs> they get <laughs> you know? the headlines. They exactly, the they get the headlines. So, so I believe that there, there, there is a group of, peop- of people. There's, there's a growing movement that is uh, under that is desiring that sort of change and that sort of understanding. My wish is that we accelerate that right now, specifically on the pro-life side, that we accelerate that movement and we um, create opportunity to see people um, and their needs and try to and try to and try to meet them or address them mm-hmm. to the best of our ability. And, and that will take individuals. Um, it takes nonprofits. Uh, it, it takes it takes legislation. Yes, it takes government. Uh, it, it takes all of us doing our own thing in our own lanes. Mm-hmm. You've talked about, and I think you and I share this, that you can have really big disagreements with people, but I think you and I both come from the place that you're looking at somebody, I believe, we believe as people of faith, that they're created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. So you start with a very, at least most basic idea that God loves that person that's mm-hmm. sitting across from you, um, and he wants the best for them, and he wants us to respect them, and he calls us to love our neighbors, not just yeah. the ones that agree with us on everything. Yeah. Um, sometimes the most difficult ones, and sometimes we're the difficult neighbors. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> so, but I think we both think if you start from that place, you can at least open the door to conversations. And I always say, Professor Robbie George up, or, up at Princeton always reminds me, and I think this advice is so good, you go into a conversation with the open mind that you could be wrong about something. Yeah. You know, that the, there's <clears throat> something you could learn from that other person. And mm-hmm. it seems that that's how you approach these conversations. Well, a, a lot of the emotion about this issue specifically is because of uh, of hurt. Mm-hmm. The, the, there's shame, there's hurt, there's guilt. There are a bunch of other emotions. I had a conversation with a lady in the airport. <laughs> we were just <laughs> talking about the airport, going through Atlanta mm-hmm. airport. And I was, I was in the airport and I was actually writing this book that we're talking about right now. And, and there was a lady who worked for the airline and um, she asked me what I was working on. And I'm like, oh boy. Um, I don't <laughs> I'm know. opening a can of worms. Yeah, exactly. There. Like I don't like. Do you want to tell what I'm working on? So I told her what I was working on, and she's she told me she was you know pro-choice, and she's like, wow, you're writing about that. I don't believe that. And so we, we sat that we had a conversation, and I just continued to ask her why she felt the way that she felt, and basically, long story short, it came down to this feeling of not being in control of mm-hmm. of, of what you want to do, autonomy. We hear mm-hmm. that a lot. It wasn't necessarily, I, I want people to have the right to kill children. It was, I want to be able to control something because quite frankly, I haven't been able to, mm-hmm. and and the generation before me hasn't been able to. Mm-hmm. And specifically when you talk about black women in this country and medical malpractice, experimentation on black women, mm-hmm. going all the way from enslavement all the way up until the 70s, you talk about sterilization that was happening mm-hmm. in the 70s and just this, this medical abuse that has happened, there is a psyche there um, for some women of being able to control something. But at the end of our conversation, my question was, do you think ending a t- pregnancy, terminating a pregnancy is good? Is, is that desirable? Is that, is that really what you would want? And her answer was no. I know she's not speaking for every pro-choice advocate. I'm not saying that. My point is there are a lot of people who do not agree on the other side with killing children. But for them, they look at all these other issues that people face and they've heard these narratives, they've heard, they've heard um, these lies and they think that this is something that is a, a net positive when it's not. So we have to be willing to, and it's hard, it takes energy. Mm-hmm. It takes energy to talk about this topic and to talk about something that, that doesn't agree with you. Um, but sometimes we're called to do that. Mm-hmm. And we can see across the table um, yeah. their viewpoint. And like you've said, you look at somebody with humanity and yeah. you and you see that I don't think that anybody's facing abortion or anyone I know who's kind of walked that path 
was happy about doing it. I mean, it was a very difficult moment in their life. And yeah. I think that um, when we realize that for most people, that's absolutely the, the situation they find themselves in a place of crisis or feeling trapped or that kind yeah. of place. And we try to meet them where those emotions yeah. are. At least we can understand what exactly. they're walking through. And at, and at the same time, it's always important to have to have a standard. And uh, it, another thing that's vitally important is is, is the church. P- you know, mm-hmm. people of faith and their faith communities. You know, how do they speak about this from church leadership? Is this something that is spoken about? There was a recent study that said that less than ten percent of churchgoers had heard a sermon about the issue of abortion. Part of that is because it's so political. Uh, a pastor doesn't want to get involved mm-hmm. with it. I totally understand that, but it's also imperative that we teach about about sex. Mm-hmm. That that we that we teach our young people, that we teach our our congregants, that we talk about marriage, that we talk about fatherhood and motherhood, that we that we speak about these things not in a way that is condemning, but in a way that is truthful, and in a way that holds a specific standard. Now we know that we all fall short, but that doesn't change what the standard is. What that does do is say this is a standard to uphold. This is what we're striving for, and when we fall short, it doesn't change our value as people. Four in ten women who have had abortions say they go to church regularly. Mm-hmm. They are in our pews. And I would say four in 10 men and four in 10 women are there. And so how do we speak to them? How do we uplift their dignity and say that they still have purpose? They still have you know, value, that they can actually have ministry out of this, that there, that there is forgiveness. How, do, how, are we, how are we shepherding and caring for them if we're too scared to even talk about it? As, as people of faith, as a church. Mm-hmm. Well, you're never afraid to talk about difficult <laughs> subjects. Um, you've written many fantastic books. The newest one is The New Fight for Life, Roe, Race, and a Pro-Life Commitment to Justice. It brings up all kinds of interesting angles and discussions on this very difficult topic. So Benjamin Watson, thank you for being with us on Live in the Bream. Thank you so much, Amy. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.